Before we jump into this episode, I just want to say thank you to our sponsors, Gateway Seminary. Gateway Seminary is a resource for the church. Whether you're looking to grow as a Bible teacher or maybe get a little bit better in college or youth ministry, they've got something for you all the way from certificates to master's degrees. No matter where you're at or what you're looking for, Gateway Seminary might be a great resource for you. Check them out at move.sc slash gateway. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to Debrief with your friends here at Sandals Church. I'm here with the PMB and the Mrs. PMB. Tanya yes. Brown is joining us again. <laughs> it's our in-house Enneagram expert. Yes. I'm referring to her as. Um, we're excited today. We've got a lot of fun stuff to get into because you guys have sent in a ton of questions mm-hmm. about the Enneagram and some follow-up on your messages so far. Um, but first, before we jump to that, I have some fun things to share about. We got to celebrate a couple weeks ago our one million yeah. yes, download. Um, we're way beyond that now, but we are doing a giveaway right now to celebrate our one million downloads. So head to move.sc slash one million. That's with the number one million. Uh, and enter our giveaway there. We're giving out um, a bunch of our Enneagram swag packs. So we've got nice. merch for every Enneagram uh-huh. type that you helped create, actually. I did. Um, they're really great. So we're giving away some of those, some debrief merch. We've got some really great stuff there. So check that out. Enter that. Make we're sure. giving away a book, too, right? We are. The road back to you. We are. Yeah. yeah. So that's the be- the best basic Enneagram book to get started with. Yeah. So if you're yeah. looking for some resources, we you could get some for free. So check mm-hmm. that out. And then we have something really exciting to announce. In a couple of weeks, we are recording a live mm-hmm. episode of the debrief. Yes. Specifically with our young adults, where they're going to get to ask you guys all things uh, dating. I love our yeah. young adults. They're, they're so fun to be with. They are. Yeah. They yeah. are. So I hope you guys are ready. I'm sure they're going to yeah. hit wow. some hard hitting yeah. questions. Don't miss that, young adults, because that might be the place you meet the one. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So that will be on October 22nd. We'll have mm-hmm. uh, details for our young adults on how to join us there. And then the episode will come out later that week. So we're super excited about that. But let's go ahead and jump into some questions. First and foremost, we have <laughs> oh, some great. follow-up from last week. Because <laughs> yes. um, in an odd uh, running of time. Odd uh, turn of events yeah. last week. Yeah, you guys both released episode. Pastor Matt, you did an episode here on The Debrief all about... Uh, a real conversation around suicide. And Tammy, you actually had an opportunity to interview someone who has experienced that in her own life with her Mm -hmm. husband. Um, But you guys had some differing things that came up (laughs) when it came to talking about empathy and sympathy and our response. Can you kind of talk through where you guys landed? Well, first of all, like it was so interesting because we did not plan that. Everyone said, did you guys plan that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, clearly not. (laughs) We clearly are not on the same page, people. Did we plan to say the exact opposite things? No. (laughs) But we had, you know, been in talks with Kayla for about seven months to come on and do that conversation. Mm-hmm. and had it recorded for two weeks before we even had that local suicide happen. Mm-hmm. And so it really was just coincidental, but we, and then we had ours recorded for a while before the debrief came out, but a lot of people were asking about how on the Cultivate podcast, we talk about the importance of empathy. Right. And on the debrief, Matt might've said empathy. The truth. <laughs> And, and here's the thing is it, it really comes down to just a language, not a meaning, but we did say opposing things. So we'd like to, I'll let you address that. Love. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> that a lot of people, uh, in our current culture do wordplay and they use mm-hmm. wordplays. And, and what I don't like is contrasting. And they did this on, on, um, the cultivate podcast. And I think ultimately everything that they said was true. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we have to throw sympathy under the bus in order to get people to feel empathy. And so, uh, sympathy is not just pity. That is one of the definitions of, uh, of pity. And that's not always a bad thing. Um, we can't have empathy uh, in the classic sense for everyone because you can't know everyone. You don't have an intimate relationship with everyone. And I don't think we want to make people generally feel bad for just feeling bad for somebody. So like uh, Kayla Stecklin, like her husband took his life and, and that's terrible. If you don't have a personal relationship with her, it's okay to just go, oh, that's terrible. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Empathy um, in, in what she was saying is, you know, I think they said, what was it? Um, it was Melody, yeah. Melody said empathy is uh, sharing, whereas uh, sympathy is just caring, or I can't remember what it was, or I'm going to share this with you. Mm-hmm. And so there was this this back and forth. And I, I think everything they said was okay. I think that we need to be careful not to throw uh, sympathy under the bus because um, like when you go to we don't, can you go buy Hallmark cards anymore? Mm-hmm. Like I never do that. That says a lot about me, but you know, you <laughs> go sorry. to the sympathy Not section, very you know, and that's what it is, right? I care about you. I'm sorry yeah. that you suffered yeah. a loss. I'm sorry that this happened. I really care about you. And, and sympathy's okay because 
empathy, uh, the, the literal definition of it is to put one's self in the place of another and vicariously experience their suffering. And that's what I mean is made up. I can never put myself in the position of Kayla, who's A, a wife, which I'm not, you know, B is a woman, which I'm not, you know, C, her husband committed suicide. I, I can't do that. I cannot vicariously put myself in that. And so to put it in the, theological language, Jesus is a vicarious substitution for our sins. He literally put himself in our place. He put himself in our place. He died for our sins. And, um, so, so empathy, I think, is 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 a word with well good intentions, mm-hmm. but what it ultimately does is it makes people feel bad because my feeling bad is not good enough, and I think that we need to be really really careful. Um, and I think what it does is it it what it actually accomplishes is the opposite. And so, oh, I don't know how to do that, and now I feel bad for how I felt bad, and it creates this really really weird thing. I think everything Kayla shared and all of the input that Melody shared, they talked about the difference between, you know, general. Just like, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. And people that came alongside and walked um, with them through the situation. So Melody talked about a friend of hers whose husband died in a car accident. And then obviously Kayla's husband took their took his, his life. Um, I think that they needed people to walk through that with them and to share in the pain and suffering. But what I would say for all of us, that's a limited group. So God forbid something terrible happens to me or Tammy. I think it's appropriate for most of the church. Think about it. There's, there's 12,000 people that came to church last weekend, 12,400. So if they're going to be empathetic and walk through this with me, that's going to be overwhelming to me or overwhelming to Tammy. I think there's a select select group of people that can be empathetic and sit in mm-hmm. those conversations and sit in that suffering. And I think that's appropriate for a community group and some of our closest friends and some mm-hmm. of our uh, lead staff members. But I think for most people, sympathy is important. Oh, I really feel bad. I don't know what to do. Well, your frustration was saying sympathy is not enough or not of a value. So later on, you know, we were sort of geared up to get some kind of some something from the debrief just because of the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so later, you know, Matt was trying to prep me for that, knowing that's hard for me when people come against. And so when he came back, he's like, hey, what do you think? I'm like, actually, the only thing that was mm-hmm. is that we have have opposing kind of language. So as Matt and I last week sat and kind of went through this, mm-hmm. um, that really what you came down to was the idea to, to say sympathy's not enough and that so we have to be empathy where it's like I can't just feel for you I have to feel with you when we can't do that but you really one of your key things was what did you call it morbid rumination where it's yeah, like especially that when it becomes to mental health which was the point of his podcast whereas the point of our podcast was how to be kindness to somebody which empathy is more of play there your point was trying to be more of we shouldn't spend a lot of time sitting in that dark place. Right. It's not good for us. Men- so do you see how mm-hmm. it's it's not one or the other? It's sort of both. Yeah. So I would say in, <laughs> in the case of morbid language. rumination, empathy is actually a sin. Mm-hmm. I should not sit in a place where I'm trying to vicariously experience what they're Feel experiencing what they and imagine that because ultimately what that's going to do is make, make me feel terrible and bad and ugly and then put me in an unhealthy uh, place and... I think we have to be really, really careful with, I mean, the the apostle Paul says there are some things that people do that we should not even talk about. Mm -hmm. We've lost that language because Mm -hmm. there are some sins that merely by talking about them and discussing them puts others in a vulnerable state. Mm -hmm. So we have this vision to be real and talk about what's really going on. But we also have the apostle Paul who says, be careful Mm -hmm. because some darkness when it's talked about, when it's shared, can bring others into a very, very unhealthy place. So, for example, you know, Pastor Jared, who took his life, he did he did a funeral for somebody who took their life that day. And so, think of someone who struggles with morbid rumination, so the thinking of taking one's own life, and then you are thrown into this situation where you, you're kind of forced to think about that because you're grieving with people and you're, uh, you're experiencing people's pain. And it's, man, it's one thing to know that somebody died. It's another thing to sit in a funeral. It's a whole nother thing to lead a funeral mm-hmm. and to actually be mm-hmm. 
um, kind of in God's place in that situation. And that's a lot of pressure. And uh, I think a lot of just emotional and spiritual attack that, you know, we need to be careful about when we step into those things. Um, in particular, if you're someone that struggles with suicide thoughts, I would encourage you to stay away from those things because it could send you down a very, very unhealthy path. And I heard um, Kayla talk about when she lost her husband, she said something triggered him. And so he was doing really well. Something triggered him. And so that's the thing that we need to be careful of is not putting ourselves into situations. Um, you know, people who, who generally are sensitive to bad feelings. If you're a generally sensitive person to bad feelings, you need to stay away from bad things. Mm -hmm. So like just, just a simple thing. Somebody asked me, um, and I don't want to bag on this at all. Are you going to go see Joker? The movie Joker or yeah, that's right. That just came out. And I'm not going to do that because. I don't want to sit in someone's pain and suffering and watch them unravel and become an evil person. And so where I think that the goal of Hollywood is for us to be empathetic to this person who wasn't bad at the beginning, but became bad and ultimately evil. I think what it does is people that are on the fringe and on the fence, them diving into, and that's the scary thing is, if you're a four, five, and we're mm-hmm. going to talk about this, you're already naturally drawn to that. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that I'm naturally as an eight drawn to lustful things. So I don't watch porn. I, there, there are TV shows that, um, you don't like anything Hollywood that has power position, fame or all that. Cause it, yeah. it messes with yeah, you. And, well, yeah, it messes yeah. with my unhealthy three, mm-hmm. my unhealthy eight. And so I, I have to guard against those things. But sometimes, you know, Tammy and I'll sit down and watch a show. What was that show that you really wanted to watch with Kevin Spacey? Oh, House of Cards? House of Cards. Yeah. So we sat down with the first episode of House of Cards and shirts are flying off and breasts are flinging around. Yes, and FYI, I, we watched episode one. That was it. <laughs> and I go, and I told Tammy, I was like, this is not the show for me. Yeah. This is just, this is not for me because I know that flying, flying breasts are going to put me in an unhealthy position. <laughs> and okay. And so I need, I need, to, I need yeah. to guard against that. It mm-hmm. didn't bother Tammy at all. You know, but I think at the end of the day, here's what we want people who've listened to the debrief. She's trying to bring us back to the point. Listen to the Cultivate podcast is to not get hang up on the language, (laughs) but to understand the situation. Mm -hmm. The debrief was really wanting to reach out to people who are potentially dealing with mental health, suicidal thoughts, saying, don't be in it. You went pretty strong, (laughs) your language. And the Cultivate podcast was saying, let's let's make sure that we're not just going so sad for you over there, which it was kind of the definition of sympathy we were giving of like, poor you over there. Okay, we're going to carry on over here. But to say like, how can I be with you? Yeah. And so, so, so don't get caught up on that. We had a misuse of language, but really the situation that we were each trying to address mm-hmm. and it just got jumbled a little because right. clearly we don't. Yeah, plan well, this it would have been helpful. <laughs> it would have been helpful had I listened to your podcast first. The biblical command is to be compassion, to have compassion. And I actually think sympathy is more in line with that. Jesus Mm -hmm. has compassion for those, for they were sheep Mm -hmm. without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And so what he's, he's not looking for someone to walk alongside. He's looking for someone to lead them through this process of grief and sin. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the command that we talked about this last week is to carry one another's burdens. And so I think that's more empathetic. So Mm -hmm. I need to come alongside, sit in your ugliness, sit in your pain and try to help you walk through that. And I think that's the the burden of the small group. That's the burden of, of soul care. That's the burden of call it professional ministers at Sandals Church, our ministers, our pastors, for us to come along in those situations that are really, really dark and really, really ugly and may so rattle some people that they can't do that. And it's, I mean, it is it is shocking to watch someone die. It is shocking to watch someone suffer. It is it is horrific. It is hor- literally I'm trying not to say that word. It is horrifying to go into a home where someone's committed suicide and not everybody's I think can handle that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would say is you don't need to to be in the home and experience it with people if that's not good for you because you have to know yourself and we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And so that's where I would say is Mm -hmm. I can be sympathetic and say, I'm really sorry that you're experiencing that. And I care for you, but this is not the thing for me to walk through with you on. Mm -hmm. And ultimately even close friends, 
there's going to be a season where you go, you know what, this, we, need to, we need to hand this baton off to professional help. This is now in the realm of psychologists and psychiatrists. And even a psychiatrist and psychologist, they have to keep a safe professional distance from the person because if they exercise empathy, they're going to be a wreck themselves. Mm-hmm. And so we need that kind of um, non-personal advice and counsel that's kind of sterile. You know, it's like, hey, here's what you're experiencing. And here, here is some, some wisdom and some counsel from someone who's not sitting in your shoes with you, but has studied this, has some Mm -hmm. expertise. And generally speaking, these are healthy tools Mm -hmm. for you to move forward in this. Mm -hmm. Um, Because oftentimes when we're in it with somebody and we're exercising empathy, we don't have the wisdom because we're now suffering. We're now co-drowning together. Well, and we, we've actually seen this firsthand, which I think is part of Matt being so passionate about that on the debrief is, you know, we have a daughter, super high four. Um, we have seen her with a couple of relationships that she has where someone was in some dark things. She's doing, granted, she's younger, you know, she's 21, but trying to walk and then she's tanked mm-hmm. completely yeah. emotional, emotionally. And so, you know, we've had to tell her like, it's okay to love this person, but you, yeah, you know, again. you have to figure out a healthy way to do that. And so we are sorry that we had opposing, I mean, that's real life. These are yeah. real conversations, but again, both are true. You know, our points were different, which is why we were passionate about both. But yeah, I think ultimately, ultimately, I I, I would disagree with the words, but I agreed with everything Kayla said in terms of her process. Well, and and, and and to start out the second episode, Kayla says one of the things to not say to somebody in grief Mm -hmm. is I know exactly how you feel because you don't. Which which is what I meant by. So so it like full circles, which is what I meant by empathy is made up. Because yeah. a person who's empathetic will say, I know exactly how you feel because they believe if you look at the literal definition that mm-hmm. they can put themselves in your place. Mm-hmm. And that's weird. So that's weird. But, but in terms of mm-hmm. what Melody said, coming alongside, caring, how mm-hmm. can I help? I thought they did a great job of, of saying, you know, how can I come alongside you in your grief? And I thought what Tammy said was amazing, you know, drop the meal off, but don't come in, even if you're invited, because people feel weird. Mm -hmm. I thought that was fantastic, but we don't, we don't know. Even if you've experienced something very similar, I think it's okay Mm -hmm. to say, I've I've walked through something similar, Mm -hmm. but you can't say, I know exactly Mm -hmm. how you feel. And that is, that's just, that's unwise. And I don't think helpful. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. Sorry. That was it. Okay. We just want to clear that up for everybody. <laughs> um, I want to get a little bit more into what you were talking about with the fours and five, because this weekend mm-hmm. in your message, you talked um, specifically about depression and anxiety and discouragement and what that can look like for each of the types. And we don't usually get into specific type things here, but you specifically called out fours and right. those are, who are high four, high five really can struggle in this area because it's easy to get stuck in kind of a loop. Um, and we had a couple of folks ask how, what's a good step forward, especially for people who have a type that's more prone to depression, what's a good step forward to get out of that loop? Yeah. So the four five combo. So what that means is if you're a five wing four or four wing five has the highest rate of of depression. And if, you know, when you look at the the stages, is it seven or nine stages in on the Enneagram? I think it's nine. I can't remember. There's varying things. And it's literally, you know, one is the ultimate health and seven or nine is the, is, is the least health and they all degrade into mental illness. So, (laughs) so when you, when you look at the scale, yeah, I mean, we we all go nuts. Like Mm -hmm. if if you continue to not deal with your issues and you become Mm -hmm. more and more healthy, unhealthy, you just literally unravel Mm -hmm. and psychosis for each number looks different. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for the four or five, uh, it, it, it goes down into and degrades into uh, depression and suicidal thoughts and tendencies, but that's like level nine. That's, you know, I don't want you to think, well, well my kids are four or my spouse is a four. They're going to get there. No, that's saying, you know, that's like saying every nine that has a drink of alcohol is going to become an alcoholic mm-hmm. or every seven is going to become a glutton and obese. That, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. That could happen if you, if you don't do that. I mean, every three is going to become a pathological liar, you know, and, uh, so the unhealth for the three is we become narcissists, like just just bizarre narcissists mm-hmm. um, where we literally can't see anybody else's feelings, thoughts or whatever, because everything processes mm-hmm. through us that we don't even understand. So what I would say is for the four is 
Um, you have to be in community with non-force. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing because you're already, what the, what the, the value that the four brings to the group is depth and emotion and fours, man, are challengers. So they will speak up and say, when they're healthy, here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I think. And mm-hmm. you want a four in your group because they're going to feel, they, they're naturally mm-hmm. empathetic. They don't have to sit there and let me, they're already right there with mm-hmm. you. They're in your suffering. They're in your pain and, and they're going to be your best friend in that moment. But they need to have others and fours like to flock together. Let's all get together and just feel our pain, our suffering. And and that's why I think Hollywood is so negative and dark is because it's led by a bunch of fours. And it's literally, how can I out negatively feel you? And how can I be more dark? And, and um, you know, we were, we were talking about, uh, what was the movie La La Land? Mm-hmm. And I love that movie until the end. And I'm just like, I hate the ending. And you know, it doesn't have to end horrible to be creative. It's like, why can't we have a happy ending? And it's like, well, that's how life is. And it's like, yeah, well, I know that's why I go to, I go to the movies to escape <laughs> life. So what I would say is, is get in a group with sevens, healthy sevens, healthy, man, eights. healthy eights that can, can bark at you. Mm-hmm. Hey, step up, get out of that. <laughs> you know, you don't need to sit there. You don't need to be there. And again, you might not like that, but you need that. Mm-hmm. And maybe a three that's sitting right next to you on the style book and can pick you up and say, hey, here's where we can go because threes motivate mm-hmm. and, and, and can help mm-hmm. you do that. So I would just say watch your surroundings. Fours need to calendar out, outdoor experiences and positive things. Mm-hmm. So like you're never going to have to tell a four. You need to journal and think deeply. And things that physically exhaust you like outdoor, like that's one of the best mental things for a four because you got to think about the four and the five combo. So the four is all in the feelings where the five is all in the head. Mm -hmm. Both of those can kind of spiral into a place without any action, which is the gut triad is what do I do? So Mm -hmm. the, the the heart triads, how do I feel? The heads, how do I think? The guts, what do I do? There's none of that happening there. So they can really kind of get lost in what do I think about how do I feel and then how I'm thinking makes me feel worse, you know, that Mm. kind of a deal. And so doing the doing is so important about exhausting yourself. Again, we have a, we have a four five. That's our daughter, Kennedy. And she, she is learning even at this young age that when she's not okay, she's got to go for a run. She's Mm got to get outside, go for a run, do something, you know, that's active and physical to start lifting when she gets dark. Yeah. So the five, so the challenge is right. So the, the four ideates on their, on their pain and their suffering mm-hmm. and their feeling and the five isolates. So mm-hmm. if you're taking notes, yep. you got to write that again. So the four is ideating. So just literally just sitting in their pain, feeling it, thinking it, circling it. And then the five's going to withdraw and isolate. And so that's why if you, you look at your scores and you have those two high scores, you got to know that when I'm feeling dark, I've got to get out of my mind and get in relationships with others. Mm-hmm. And a great thing for that is a walk, a swim. Mm-hmm. And and if you're a depressed person, swimming, especially in cold water, is key. Mm-hmm. Literally, I was talking to a good friend of mine that was having a panic attack. And I said, go to the ocean today. This is after church and jump into the water. And he said, well, I can't swim. I said, well, don't go that deep. You know, he said, I'm you not also a, do a pool. He said, I'm not a good swimmer. I think it was, I can't remember why I said the ocean. I don't think he had a pool. I think they were, they were down there. But they, he needed cold water. Mm-hmm. And there's something about cold water and the outdoor and the fresh air that can awaken you. And it's something as simple as a walk on the beach, but get in the water. Get your If you're terrified of sharks, get your feet in the water. Just jar your system. And then a simple exercise. If you can't get to the ocean, walk down the street in the middle of the street. Make sure it's a safe street. And as you're walking, take your eyes and look at the trees on the left and look at the trees on the right and just keep doing that. And what that does, especially for the male brain, is it helps the male brain disengage a, a negative thought. So think about when you're when you're ruminating. So we talked about morbid rumination. So when you're ruminating on a negative thought or depression, your brain is literally stuck. Mm-hmm. So how do I get it unstuck? So I'm forcing my eyes. And if you're watching on the video, I'm looking left, I'm looking right, I'm looking left, I'm looking right. Well, my brain is having to shift left, right, left, right as my eyes draw attention to one side and the other. It's kind of bizarre if you don't think about that, but your brain literally fires neutrons back and forth. And that's been a very, very, that's a simple thing that doesn't require any kind of help. I mean, any kind of medical help, you can just do that. So cold water exercise is another thing. Get your blood circulating. The problem is you don't feel like doing that. Mm Here is the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of self-discipline. So self-discipline is doing things Mm -hmm. that I don't feel like doing, but I know I should do. Mm -hmm. 
And so I need to do that. And all the ones were just like, I told you, no. <laughs> the okay. constant fire yeah. in your house. So, and what I would say to the ones <laughs> is the ones have to take a Sabbath when they don't feel like they should. So that's for them. They got to take a break. The rest of us got to get out there and do that. And so just know that isolation is bad and, and rumination or ideation, like just fixating on what's wrong with your life. And we can all get there. And uh, I, I picked up a book, you know, that I, I bought this summer to read and I, I got through about half of it and I didn't finish it. And I wrote down a verse and it's, it's um, Philippians 4, 8. This is whatever is good, whatever mm-hmm. is honorable, whatever is true. Um, there's two more whatevers I can't remember, but it says, focus on these things. Mm -hmm. And what you need to do is if you're a journaler and I'm not is in those moments, start making a list of what's good in your Mm -hmm. life. And if you're walking, I would say those things out loud. God, I'm thankful for the sunset. The sunset is beautiful. God, the, the fresh air is beautiful. God, I'm thankful that I have this. I have this friend. I have that. And just start focusing on those things. And if you are super isolated, say, I'm thankful that I have a church that's willing to talk about this. I'm thankful that I have a church that allows me to use my gifts and gives me an opportunity to serve God. Mm-hmm. So th- those are beautiful things because what you can do is say, well, nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. I don't matter. And that's just not true. If you come to this church at any time our doors are open and you're saying, I'm feeling these things, we have people that literally are sitting here waiting for you to talk mm-hmm. and help guide you through that. But ultimately, you're going to have to take the steps. So don't isolate, uh, don't ruminate or ideate just literally on those negative thoughts and take those steps. Ultimately, like Paul said, he t- instructed Timothy, you know, you might need to drink a little wine. I'm not I'm not telling you to take wine for... for um, Anxiety, but back fear, in that day, it was medicinal for stomach stuff yeah. too, which mm-hmm. yeah. you have to know that backstory on it. What I would say is go go talk to a doctor sense. and don't be afraid to say, okay, I might need need some medication, because if you're bipolar, we we can pray all day long, but if your chemistry's off, that's going to affect your walk with Christ, and mm-hmm. so we want to deal with that. I mean, the same way if you had a broken arm. We're not going to expect you to continue to operate until that arm is fixed. So our brains are functioning the same way. And so if we need some medication to help our brain, I think that's a good thing so that we can get in a healthy place and really begin to work on some issues that the medication will allow us to work on. And I'm not saying that for every person, but yeah. but don't write that off because a lot of people think, oh, something's wrong with me uh, and there's shame associated with mm-hmm. needing some medication or needing some help in that area. But ultimately, I, I think that point was seek medical help and mm-hmm. literally go after radical change. And so in my mid thirties, I start, I, I realize I have to eat different. I, I cannot continue to eat this mm-hmm. way because a lot of the way we feel is diet related. You don't want to hear that, but it's just true. You got to change what you eat, when you eat and how you eat. I had to change my exercise. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel well if I don't exercise. And so I have to start exercising and that has to be in my repertoire six days a week. I had to go to counseling. I eventually did deep healing. I I started to really, really invite people to challenge my life because what I was doing wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so we need to do that. So I don't know if that's enough. Well, I I would just say, I like that you brought that last point. Now for the four fives out there, we don't, what we don't want you to do is feel discouraged. Matt's just showing one of the ways that the different numbers can play together. We could, we could tell you all different kinds of combinations, but that one in particular plays together in a certain way. That's isolating. Mm -hmm. The four also believes no one understands me, which makes them more withdrawal that five. So that's just one of many combos that can play together in an unhealthy way but we all have that, but that's at the worst case scenario. But the other thing about the medication is absolutely we, you know, would recommend that. But also one of the things Matt and I have been talking about, something we talk about with our small group, with our kids, with our close friends is the responsibility on our end that right now it's like, well, everything should be medicated. We don't think that there are some things that we have to be, you said self-disciplined, my friend Lisa Bevere and I have this conversation about being the gatekeeper of your life, which Matt and I are even right now doing. Like Matt's saying, social media is causing me a great deal of anxiety. 
he has a responsibility then to monitor how much social media he's engaging in. Mm -hmm. For me, if I'm not exercising and if I just eat junk, I get all kinds of emotional and bad way. I need to be disciplined to make sure. So, so you do have to be the gatekeeper of your own health, which might not require actual medication. It might make you say, I don't love eating this way, but it's good for me. I want to be on social media, but it's bad for me. So I need to limit that. Like there's so many different kinds of things that are affecting us negatively that medicine isn't just the solution for. Sometimes we have to cut certain people out, limit them, certain activities out, social media, like all of that messes with our anxiety, depression, and not, e not every single thing that's causing those things mm -hmm. is out of our control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I'm a, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, I'm high eight, high seven, high three, but I would say traditionally speaking, I am a three wing four. And so mm -hmm. what that means is I'm incredibly sensitive to how am I, how am I doing? How, are people perceiving me as successful? So when I feel successful, I'm doing great. And when I feel like I'm failing, I slip into my wing four mm -hmm. and I, I start to ruminate and ideate on negative, mm -hmm. bad things about myself. And, um, you got, you got to, you got to throw everything that you have at it. And so like one of the things I don't talk about, but you know, I, I pursued, um, non-drug therapy where I literally did brain retraining. And so I, I would go to this counselor, I think it was twice a week for three months and they would hook, I mean, it was like, they would hook these brain waves up to me and I would literally do focus therapy where they helped with my, with my ADD. And it was literally life-changing for me. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. Uh, one of our kids had to do similar stuff when she was younger. She didn't like it either, but I saw it help her and I realized, okay, mm -hmm. this is one of the reasons I struggled so badly in school because I lack focus. And mm -hmm. so I, I literally would go to um, the doctor and I would sit there and these people went to our church and it was humbling mm -hmm. because I'm saying I'm your senior leader and your pastor, but I need help with this. And I did it for, I think it was four months and I recommended it to one of our close friends who was in our small group. He didn't last one session and he quit. And I've watched his life. He's, he's still a mess mm -hmm. because he can't focus. And really, I mean, that's, that, that's an attention deficit issue. Mm -hmm. And it's affected him negatively in many, many ways. And it made me sad. And so that's what I would say is whatever it takes for you to do your part, do it so that God mm -hmm. will say, you know what? I'm going to bless this person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do a work in their life. And, and what I would say is, you know, the Lord's the Lord and, and, you know, salvation is a free gift, but God is not, he does not owe you a miracle. He's already done everything that he said he would do for you, which would save you in Christ. And so prayer and, and asking for miracles, I mean, if you're in heaven, why would God, why would God do these things for you? If you're not going to change your life, if you're not going to, you know, benefit his kingdom, if it's still all about your kingdom and you have to evaluate those things. And so I literally said, God, I want, I want to be used by you. And so I'm going to do everything I can to change. Ultimately, I, I'm not God. And so if God allows me to continue to struggle in this and I still, I still battle anxiety, I, I'm not as unhealthy as I was in my thirties, but I've learned, okay, what, what's going on here? And when anxiety and when depression and when discouragement comes up, the question you need to ask yourself is, okay, what am I not paying attention to? Mm. And so we run to the doctor and we say, give me a pill so I can numb myself. Or we run to the bar or now everybody smokes weed and I'm going to numb myself to this. But what is it in my life that I'm ignoring that my soul is saying, hey, this mm. is an issue that we need to deal, deal with. And that issue, Satan attacks us with shame, with guilt and with fear. Sure. And he comes at us with those three things. And so ultimately the four or five has to do what everybody else has to do. We take it to the cross and we say, Jesus, I, I'm going to bring my shame. I'm going to bring my guilt. I'm going to bring my fear to you. Mm -hmm. What is it that you want me to do on my end? Like I can't conquer my shame. I can't conquer my fear. I can't conquer my guilt, but you can. But are there some things in my life that I need to eliminate? And so, you know, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Okay. Are there some things, and one of the things that I noticed is when I'm on Twitter and negative people, you know, their tweets pop up on my screen and it sends me into a spiral. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that's not good. I'm giving access to this person directly into my life. So I, in the old days, right, I wouldn't bump into this person. I wouldn't see this person. I wouldn't mm -hmm. allow them to negatively crap on my day. But now because of social media, they can poop on my porch every morning. And I'm like, okay, I, I need to deal with that. 
Well, and you have a responsibility to deal with yes. it. And that's the thing. Mm -hmm. I think we, we distance ourselves from the responsibility about what we're letting in, what we're taking in. And you and I have had that conversation about, we have a responsibility for that, for our own mental health, for our own kids, for our church, for our friendships, for mm -hmm. our marriage. And so if Matt and I, and we had it last week, he saw something on Twitter. I saw something on Instagram. We're all worked up. We're not okay. And we're just like, what are we doing? And we literally shut that stuff off and headed to the mountain for the day. Yeah with people who we know love us can speak into us because we're just like, you know, but we're responsible for what we see to a degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it, you can't push that off on other people. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I, and I had a, I had a mild anxiety attack at Oakland. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by apple pie, brisket, <laughs> you know, on, on a, on a mesquite grill, beautiful, you know, uh, setting surroundings. And I'm with friends mm -hmm. and I'm having a, a mild panic attack. So, and I wish I had to confess to my small group last night that because two of the people in our group were with us, I didn't tell them what was going on. I isolated myself, went to the bathroom and threw cold water on my face, which worked, but I wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And I had to ask for forgiveness for that. Because one of the discussion questions was, do you have a hard time telling people? And I'm like, yes. Fine, yes. Because so, we're, we're all embarrassed when things oh, yeah. aren't right. Everybody mm -hmm. feels that way. Like if you're not embarrassed of things that are wrong in your life, that's weird. <laughs> like that that's odd to me. Because... You wouldn't be yeah. struggling with it if, if it wasn't weird or, or bizarre mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't, I don't struggle with sharing that I breathe because that's not weird. Yeah. So the things that we don't feel good about in our lives, those are the things that we need to get out mm -hmm. because when we stuff those things, that's, that's the, the enemy lives in darkness. He lives in darkness and we need, we need to deal with that. And it's just, yeah, it, it, it's literally, literally a, a lifelong process of like saying, okay, saying, I'm going to say no to this. I'm going to say no to that so I can say yes to the work of God mm -hmm. and the spirit in my life. And Paul says, you know, do not quench the Holy Spirit of, of God. And when you look at that in Ephesians 4, he's talking about language, the language we use. And so I think oftentimes we think about, you know, cussing and the language we use towards others. But for me, oftentimes it's the language I use about myself. Mm -hmm. And so my negative voice and my critical voice mm -hmm. towards myself cuts off the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I don't want that. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, my, my relationship with Jesus is settled. He died for me on the cross. He's forgiven me of my sin. But my ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit is a relationship. And it ebbs and flows just like relationships do. And so if I sin against Tammy, our relationship is separate. If Tammy sins against me, it's separate. So the Holy Spirit never sins against me. So we always know who did it. <laughs> so it's me. All right. Well, we've got some great questions that folks have sent in um, just in follow up to what we've been learning as we've started unpacking our styles. And Carolyn wrote in and said, you've talked about the kinds of people we need to give us honest feedback. I'm wondering what strategies we can use to figure out the best kind of feedback to give others. I'm specifically thinking of instances where maybe we don't know their type or we don't um, know if they're maybe high in multiple numbers. So what are some good strategies for figuring out the best kind of feedback to give other people? Yeah, I would just say be Christ-like. I mean, that's the best feedback I don't give I don't give feedback unless it's asked for. Very rarely would I say, "Do you want some feedback?" Mm -hmm. Because most people don't unless they ask for it. And I've just mm -hmm. I've just learned that's I don't want to create angst in my life. And so I would only give input to people who want input unless it's your husband. If if it's somebody close to you, like my kids, my wife, a staff member, I give input. But if it's just some random man or woman in our church, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing or where they're going. Mm -hmm. If they're, if they're overtly sinning and it needs to be addressed publicly, then yeah, I would do that. I would say, hey, we, you know, we don't talk that way. That's not appropriate. That That's fine. Mm -hmm. But mo most I would just, I would say, don't try to get caught up in reading people and guessing what they are. Just say, oh, I didn't like that. Interpret it from yourself and your number and what you know about yourself. And so as a nine, you need to be declarative. As an eight, you know, Tammy, I don't want to give away our sermon. We're, we're going to work this out together. We were talking about the questions that the numbers need to ask when they engage relationships just like that. So give me a week or two and we'll, Tammy and I are going to give you specific things to ask from the perspective of mm -hmm. each number. And because uh, we were just talking about in the car, well, I was talking about her car and or not her car, her number. And I just said, do you really need to worry about that? And she said, those are great questions for every number to ask because mm -hmm. that's what the six needs to ask. Do I need to worry about this? But every number needs to ask this question. There's a question for every number. They need to ask themselves before engaging with different kind and of things. And don't give them away because I want yeah. people to go, okay. ooh, ooh, when we preach. That's so good. I, I, think the, I think the question maybe could be, 
flipped a little bit. Um, instead of feedback, and this is what I tell women in Cultivate all the time, is instead of thinking of the feedback that you need to give, I would say, try to think of the the questions you need to ask. How can you mm-hmm. be curious about like, well, what are you, what are you hoping for? What are you feeling inside? Um, what are you thinking? What's the thought? What are you afraid of? I think when you ask the good question, that's why I tell, like I try to encourage women to become the best question askers. The person actually can kind of land on what, they what, what they're really yeah. needing to hear. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to come from you. And here's the thing. When people come to it on their own, they're more likely to follow it because they believe it in the depths of who they are. Mm-hmm. When we just sit and throw all our feedback at everybody, they're like, okay, good. I'm going to go on my own. Cause it's not something that they have a conviction about, mm-hmm. but when they come to the conviction about it. And so being a good question, a good curious question asker, um, helps people come to what their actual conviction is. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you ask a good question and then they give whatever response and you can say, well, what, but what, you know, is that in line with what God believes about you? Is that in line with God wants for your life? Which is still a good question. Yes or no. It just helps them start to untangle their own thought processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for no matter what number, so you don't need to know what someone's number is when you're a good question asker and they can be simple questions. I think that helps people land on the feedback that they need necessarily okay. instead of us having to be. Yeah. And I think it's, it's particular. What's your name? Carolyn. Carolyn. It's, it's really, you got to be really careful about judging people's numbers because um, I, in our marriage, I often experience Tammy as an eight, but what we've learned in is the six is the counterphobic six, the counterphobic which is what six is experienced as an eight. But the eight's desire is to not be controlled. That's not Tammy's core issue. Her issue is she's afraid. Mm -hmm. And so if I misdiagnose her Mm -hmm. as an eight, I'm not going to understand her heart and be able to love her because the eight is not concerned with security or safety. That that is, I mean, you're going to completely lose that person. Mm -hmm. But if the person's coming at you and their, their issue is fear, then you need, you need to be able to do that. And so that's why I would say it's really, really important that you not diagnose. Some, some people are obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, eights or it's are, obvious they have a lot of certain number in them, but it might yeah. not be their primary motivation, right. which is the whole point of the Enneagram is not to type people, even though it helps do that, is to go, what is driving them from the inside out? Mm-hmm. And we're all driven or tend to be driven by the same few things in our lives, which for me, I'm typically always driven by fear, by what if, or right and wrong. That's the high six, the high one in me. You know, Matt's driven by um, success or versus failure. He's driven by fun and adventure. That's the seven. Yeah. And, and so, and then the eight in there. And so the Enneagram helps us get to what is the common, th- I'm never driven by adventure. That's just not a thing for me <laughs> or even success and failure necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so what the Enneagram helps us do is figure out what's internally driving us, motivating us, because then everything about us, our actions play out in that way, either in a positive, successful way or in a really negative, unhealthy way. Mm -hmm. And so to guess about someone else is we don't know what's driving someone from the inside because we don't know them in that way. We're not inside them. We don't know what what their family of origin is, their, any trauma they've experienced, what they're trying to get you. Because remember, we're all trying to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so we might tell you like for the three, what you, that we think we want you to hear. So you see us a certain way. Well, that's not going to help you know what's really happening on the inside. So we do mm-hmm. want to, you know, that's one of the, the things that is, can be the most damaging when using the Enneagram as a tool is to be like, you're such a, and we we try to tell people not to use that language, but just to be curious about like, I think maybe they have a lot of aid in them, or maybe they have a lot of, (laughs) instead of saying you're such a, because we don't know. And it's not our job to type other people. This is about us becoming experts on ourselves, not experts on the Enneagram so that we can be the best version of who God made us to be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's my bandwagon like i'm sticking yeah. to it <laughs> all right so we've had a, a couple people not just a couple a bunch of people write in uh, yeah. wondering about their kids uh wondering about what age is good to start helping your child maybe figure out their type or start figuring out mm-hmm. um your type what age is good for us to help our kids start figuring out their type 
Yeah, I would wait as long as possible because your kid is going to be a culmination of A, their personality, but B, their parents, and if they're younger, their siblings. And so Mm -hmm. it's been interesting to watch since we've got into this, you know, our son, when he first took the test, he really took it vicariously through his sisters and his mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And I'm not certain what he is yet. We know that he has some things that I don't have uh, and Tammy doesn't have. Like we can see some different things in him popping up more predominantly than others, Mm -hmm. but we couldn't type him yet. Mm -hmm. Like in my coaching class that I did, they would say, take it at about 18. We let our son take it at 15, but we did tell him, hold this very loosely. Mm -hmm. All three of our kids on their Enneagram have super high nine. Well, let me tell you who who has no nine, the (laughs) two of us. So are are they super high nine or do they have to be high peacemakers because Mm -hmm. Matt and I are so aggressive? They have to be because Mm -hmm. they're under our authority. And so kids are so much of us still us shaping them, us you know, which is going to happen. I mean, that's normal, but I, I would say don't have your kids take the test. We we encouraged our middle schoolers, elementary schoolers, even high schoolers to wait, mm-hmm. but to just start being curious about themselves. Like, you know what? I do think I'm motivated by this or this mm-hmm. and hold it loosely. But again, be curious about it. Start kind of thinking about being real with self in that way, asking other friends in their lives at that younger age of like, if you had to guess, what would you think I am mm-hmm. to just start developing like that curiosity, but I think at 18 ish to maybe start taking it. But again, even that's going to change because they're so young. Like a mm-hmm. lot of our young kids have super high scores all over and they're like, what does this mean? It means you're young yeah, it means you're growing and up you're still, still figuring yeah. out who you are based who you think you should be based uh, in addition to what everyone else thinks you should be, you know, so that, that mm-hmm. narrows off when you get a little older. So we would we say to just be curious about it and guess like we we see in our son a lot of nine and a lot of one and some five. I I couldn't say where he lands just yet. He mm-hmm. also has a little seven in him. You know we've Kennedy our our twenty one year old. She is the individualist. Now that she's twenty one, we can say we have seen this in her since the day she was born. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but at the time, even with Madison, so you start to see certain ones of them coming up. But mm-hmm. again, that, that person needs to be the person to do it. And we, we, we just get to be curious about it. So the more that we've seen this, even I guess we'll say anything cause he's our youngest. Now he's almost 17 with him. I'm, I'm taking what I see in him, which is a lot of high five, a lot of nine, a lot of one. And so I'm starting to interact with him based on what I know about those styles, mm-hmm. but I'm not being like, you're such you're a, this, yeah. you know, kind of a deal. And we just try to use mm-hmm. those strategies and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But we know that some strategies, like my son does not have eight in him. When we are super harsh and direct with him, he shuts right down. Mm-hmm. That does not, the clarity and directness does not motivate him. So we don't, we're trying to not do that with him mm-hmm. because it doesn't work. Right. And so what we want to be is effective. Yeah. I would just say that I think, I think it's, you can start guessing early on mm-hmm. and I yeah, but remember the, their guesses. Yeah. <laughs> but I would, I would go ahead and, and guess and then try to parent your kids based upon the assumed motivation until you learn the motivation is wrong. Mm-hmm. And here's why that's important. If you're raising an eight from, from a very early age, you have to be strong with them. Mm-hmm. because ultimately they're going to be isolated and alone because of their strength. They're going to have a hard time making friends. They're going to intimidate. They have a strong chance of being bullies. And you, ha- you have to challenge that because eights really are interested in relationships and don't like being mm-hmm. misunderstood. A seven, if you're raising a seven, you have to speak into that child that, look, if we want to do what's fun, we have to do what needs to be done. Otherwise, man, your kid gets to junior high and homework goes out the window. They're not interested in anything. They're going to try drugs, alcohol, sex. They're just going to, they're going to go that way. And so you have to help them from an early age, learn to self-discipline their, their impulsiveness to do what's fun. Mm -hmm. 
and talk about that. Uh, the six to be brave, to take steps, to, to mm-hmm. not be afraid of everything. And that might mean some vacation suck because we're going to jump into the water. We're going to, we're going to learn to swim. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite Instagrams is this little black kid with his floaties on his arms and his grandpa's in the car. The kid is, sh- I sent it to Tammy. His feet are shaking like he's going to die. And it's like you're jumping off a diving board into your grandfather's arms. You're going to be okay. And you just, with a six, right? (laughs) The world is scary and your kid is going, you can't protect them from their fears. Otherwise, they're going to be overwhelmed by life. The five, you know, video games are going to be very, very dangerous. Introversion, you know, uh, reading books, Mm -hmm. disappearing into their own. Yeah, disappearing into their own. Uh, world and room. You need to have friends over. You need to go to youth group. Like if you've got a five, they don't want to go to youth group. Well, who cares what they want? And and we, like I said, Ethan yeah. has a lot of fives. So mm-hmm. we have to say like, you, he doesn't do video games during the school week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he has parameters on that because otherwise he would do that all day long and not never actually engage real people. And then he's lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, once you're, once you're noticing these things and you're becoming more curious about that, start implementing some of those healthy strategies for that person. And if you're raising a four, Mm -hmm. they're going to cause drama. They're going to cause drama. They're what's it? Linus in the, um, in peanuts always has the cloud of dust around him. Oh, Linus. Linus, your kid is emotional Linus. And you just have to understand that. And parents oftentimes like we, we jump into that and we assume it's everybody else. You've got, you've got to say, Hey, Let's stop having drama with everybody. So especially if you're raising a girl. We're taking everything personal. Yeah, let's, overly emotional. What are we texting? What are we sending out? This may not be for you because, you know, you can't just post how depressed you are all the time. And that's not okay. And mm-hmm. so a, a three, man, very success oriented. And a, and a great parenting tool for a three is, you know, we had to do this with our son. And he hasn't scored high three, but his grades sucked. And I said, listen. I said, you have A-level clothes, A-grade clothes, because your dad works in A-level life. I'm going to prepare you for your adulthood. So you're going to shop at Walmart and a thrift store because that's the level that's of the effort level you're, earning. you're earning. That's the success you're achieving. And he looked at me like, he like because I was like, what's going to wake this kid up? And he was like, Whoop. and I said, I'm not kidding you. Your mom is taking you to a thrift store. I don't care. I want you to, you should be embarrassed. Because if you don't want to work, yeah. you're not going to be able to provide the life we're providing for you. Yeah, you and a lot of parents out. need yeah. to realize that is you've, you've worked very hard. But the other side for the three, though, is also kids running themselves ragged, being in, and parents who are threes have to watch this or mm-hmm. have a lot of three, even if three is not your primary, if you have a lot of three of my kids in soccer, my kids in baseball, my kids in this, my kids in this after school program, they play this instrument because that, that kind of rhythm in a life will burn out the soul yeah. faster than anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and so to make sure that f- having to succeed and win everything isn't the goal of the ident- of finding idea. Yeah. And a lot of parents mm-hmm. live out their need for that through their kids. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and I, I would say I'm an unhealthy three and it's, it's been a slow dying process uh, because nobody's threes in my family. And so I want to win and crush everyone else and, and nobody like, else cares. This isn't fun. They're like, this isn't fun. <laughs> this doesn't feel safe or right. Nothing and so I've had to, done. I've had to define for me what success is for my family. And so mm-hmm. what success is for my family is that they love they love God. And I see parents make this mistake all the time. I just talked to a family this week. I said, oh, you should bring your kids on Wednesday nights. We have youth group. And I hear this answer every time. And if you're a parent, I love you. You're wrong. Oh, they have sports. Mm-hmm. Well, when you stand before God on judgment day and you said you didn't have time to put your kid in church because you chose sports, which is an idol over God, that's a mistake. It's a mistake. Parents don't want to hear it. And and not only that, but you, you're running ragged because my kid's in this sport and that sport and this sport and that sport. And then they turn 18 and you're heartbroken because they're, they want nothing. They want There's, nothing to they're do. They're not deep rooted in, in spiritual things at all. Mm-hmm. And you're shocked because we all talked about how we were Christians and we prayed before dinner. But, and this is what we see all the time mm-hmm. with that is, is the parents being shocked that the kid's not deep rooted in church and doesn't go on their own now when they never were going before. But And I, I'm, I was <clears throat> totally frustrated with my mother growing up because she did not allow me to play sports that were on Sundays. And I'm so grateful now because mm-hmm. all of my friends that played soccer and none of them went pro. None of them are making any money. A couple got scholarships, but their lives are disasters. 
And I was at church every Sunday morning. I was not allowed to miss. It didn't matter what it was. Mm -hmm. And I am so thankful for that. And when you read the Shema, and those of you who've been to Israel with us, uh, and so this is Yom Kippur, right? Uh, the Day of Atonement this week where, where Jews ask for forgiveness. It's, it's the high holiest day in the Jewish calendar year. This is the day where they, 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 they ask God for grace because of the things that they've done wrong. And it's unfortunate as, as parents that we don't do that on like a yearly cycle. Like, okay, what have, what have I done wrong this last year that I need to make right? And there's a rededication of the nation of Israel to the Shema, which is the Hebrew word to hear. And so if you ever go to a Jewish friend's home, they'll have a scroll on their door as you go into their house. Tammy and I have one. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And that we're to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says the greatest commandment. But he says you're to teach these commands to your children mm -hmm. every day, in the morning, in the afternoon, when they walk. You know, you're to bind it on your foreheads, tie it around your arms. Those are the phylacteries that Jesus talks about. And our job is to teach our kids that God's number one. Mm -hmm. And the reality is most of us don't even teach our God, our kids that he's, he's top 10. And because especially as threes, we have the wrong view of what success is. And I just was went out to coffee with a good friend of mine. He's 38 years old and he's, he's just now realizing I might have the wrong definition of success. Mm. And he is, he is an amazing guy and he's going, okay, I might need to pivot at this point in my life and figure out I need to do something else. And so now he's considering ministry because that's a different calling. So, so let's do the other numbers. So twos, you know, twos are going to be, you know, they're going to be the teacher's pet, the, the class helper. They're going to help everybody else. And as a two, their motivation is to get people to love them because of what they do. And you just have to, mm -hmm. we love you for who you are. Mm -hmm. You're our child. You're our daughter. We, we, we appreciate everything that you do. Don't make them stop because they love serving, but we just, we don't love you because you do the dishes. We love you because you're ours. And that's why God loves us. We're his. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that you speak that to a two from an early age, because what they fear is if they don't help, they're not good. Mm -hmm. And they, they use, <coughs> excuse me, they, they use service to get love. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important. So for the one, their deepest fear, and you, you just have to know their motivation is to be the good person. And I remember Tammy and I, we were in our, our early thirties. And so Tammy's dad was an alcoholic. And so she asked, and I, I drank like a fish in college. So she said, before you met me, well, up until I met you and yeah. you said, if you're going to date me, there's no alcohol. And I was like, well, okay. So I didn't drink until my early thirties. And one of the things that changed us was our daughter has high one and we were on a cruise ship and people were enjoying a drink of alcohol. And, and, and Madison was like, oh, that's bad. Hmm. And I was everyone like, oh, who does that everyone who has a sip is bad. And I was like, okay, we've, we've made a mistake here. Drunkenness is bad. You should never be intoxicated. That is, that's a sin. And for those of you who didn't know that, write that down, but it's okay to enjoy a glass of wine. It's okay to, if that's not a struggle if for it's you, not a struggle if you don't for you. If you're not alcoholic, don't do and it. That, that's what we wanted our kids to know yeah. is like, okay, if we're just teaching them. This is bad. No so what. extreme. Yeah. If they're exposed to it, they're not going to have any healthy ways to mm -hmm. encounter it, engage it for themselves. And so, yeah. And so the one is going to draw false lines in the sands mm -hmm. because what they want to do is feel not guilty. And so what they do is they constantly create rules that they and everyone else should follow. So the one will be like the, you know, the tattletale, the one's going to make sure everybody's doing it right. The one and the two can be the mothering or the fathering figure in the house but they can, the two will lose themselves by helping the other siblings. And the one just ultimately can't give grace to themselves and they're afraid or others. Or yeah. others. And so you just have to say, Hey, I know, I know you want to be a good person, but we need to give grace. We need mm -hmm. to allow grace for others. And then do the we, nine. The, nine. Do the nine, yeah, the nine, you know, their core, core motivation is to have <clears throat> peace. And so what you need to understand is that you can't avoid everything that sometimes you have to declare. So if you're raising a little nine, they have to share with a friend when their feelings have been hurt, when something's mm -hmm. been wrong, you have to help them to declare. So like simple things, if you have a well, nine, and the, then the value in speaking up that there is right and wrong mm -hmm. and, and that there's yeah. a time and place to speak for what's right and wrong. But a simple tool for a parent is when you go to order food at a restaurant, have the nine declare what they want. They mm -hmm. won't want to do it. They will be intimidated and scared to death. 
but get up to the counter. Tell them what you want because that's the core struggle of the nine is I didn't say what I wanted. And so what we do and a lot of siblings will do is they'll order for the person. Mm-hmm. And they decide me, for like, you. They that decide was me for as a kid. My yeah. parents ordered for me for years. Yeah. Like I would not speak to them. <laughs> yeah. I order for myself now. I'm, I've grown. I've gotten more declared. But that's so funny. Like as a kid, I like never wanted to order for myself. That's so one you, of the or best. I would just get whatever that's my one of the got. best um, rhythms and practices for parents of nine to do is like, mm-hmm. well, what do you want? Well, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but it matters to us what your heart is. You clearly have a thought. You clearly have a mind. You clearly have an opinion. And so to help the little nines in your life or kids, you are curious. They have a lot of nine in them. How to use their voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we, I can't, I don't want to say this. Is, we, we have some good friends and they have a large family and one of their siblings is a nine and uh, he was with us. And we said, where would you like to go to eat dinner? We want you to pick you would have thought I asked him to deny his faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> he was sitting in the back seat, utterly terrified. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's okay. But he's grown up with such strong personality siblings. Mm-hmm. Cause so, so he has a, a sister that's an eight. So eights don't care what you want. They know where they should go, what it should be. <laughs> and... You know, it, it, and are offended when they don't get their way. And, and very that's... strong, driven. Everyone else in the family is very strong, yeah. very driven, which is cool with that because it, it's good. Yeah, but also when, it, yeah. when put on the spot about, well, what we don't know you. So what do you like to eat? We're trying, you know, mm-hmm. he could, he literally could not. Yeah, it was funny. So, so you got to, you got to help them. And, and if you're raising an eight, they always want their way and are offended when it's not their way. That was one of the conversations I had with my brother when we were unpacking our life and counseling together. He said, I felt like you always got your way, which I'm a high three. He's a high eight. So you have the two strongest personalities competing for every single meal. And I don't think his, his, uh, his memory was correct, but well, I'm eights cer- in general see the world is coming again. Yeah. So, so and so when he didn't get his way, it was an affront to who he was as a kid. And that's where a parent has to say. And Matt's just trying to win to yeah. meet that inner need. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. I was, See, I they, was so all, they all play. They yeah. can yeah. all play together. Oh, for sure. All right. What do we got? Okay. We're going to wrap up here with just kind of some more practical questions. As we just folks went over are, an hour. I know. I'm sorry. Matt said we we're going to do an hour. I'm sorry. I just no, failed another not. goal in life. <laughs> it's okay. Pick yourself up. Move you're on. St- you still matter to us. Yeah. You're, still you're, you're, you're more identity. than just success or failure. failure. Oh, well. All right. So, um, Michelle and some other folks wrote in just with some practical questions as people are looking at their scores, starting to understand them. Uh, the first step is just, is it odd for all of your numbers to be below the moderate influence level? So folks have a chart and like that ones just, that are higher. Just... Yeah. It, I don't think it's necessarily odd. It just means you're, you're pretty even keel, like mellow ish demeanor. Mm-hmm. Again, family of origin, whatever you've experienced in life is going to make a play into that, but it's not, it's not odd or it's not good or bad, odd or not odd. It's just you. Mm-hmm. And so what you want to do is say what does have the most influence on you, get to know about how that's affecting you positively or adversely, but to have moderate low numbers isn't, or yeah. yeah. I would say the first thing that I would do, Michelle, if I looked at your score is I would look at your nine score mm-hmm. because the nine, if your nine score is, let's say even close to the highest, what I would say is you're answering the questions. You're like, mm, Yeah. And I would say you're probably a nine because you can, so, so what nines can do is they see both sides. Yeah. I'm kind of that kind of not. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is you're probably pick the middle a nine. On every yeah. 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 Pick the middle. And so that's what I look at. And, and that can actually go both ways. They can all be kind of moderate or lower. They can all be all, all high. Cause you're like, well, yeah, I could kind of see that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. And that's, that's not normal. So I think that's the next question. Is and the next bad? question is, is it bad to have a lot of your scores be extremely high or extremely low? Like I've had some friends say like, my scores are all over 70 on six different numbers. Yeah. Like and so I, the ones that I've seen that wait, they're all what? Like I've just, for an example, like I have friends who've read their scores and they're all over 70 on like four they're or five like different numbers. Buildings. They have, yeah, yeah, like super high numbers. The, that person is usually in the gut triad. Because it's just, yep, nope, yep. They're just, they're just come. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're thinking about it. They're not feeling it. It's just automatic. And so that's what we would do is we would look at the one score. What is your one score? Particularly, what is your unhealthy, unhealthy one, score? one score? Because you tend to answer how you think you should. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're answering how you would and then others how you should. Um, I also would look at age in that. I talked about that earlier. Like mm-hmm. young people are like, yeah, I should be there. You know, and so it, when you get a little older, it can even out, which I, I would like to to address that. The idea of taking the test over and over and over. Mm-hmm. We don't recommend that. Statistically, your first test is actually the most accurate. Because again, we're not trying to get scores up, get scores down. We're trying to, we're, we're trying to nail down what motivated us 
internally, then we can put those scores aside, mm-hmm. except that we want to look at those high influencers and go, wow, what, why, you know, cause if you have a lot of influence in the unhealthy, it's like, why, what am I afraid of? How am I self-protecting that kind of stuff? But you don't need to keep taking the test over and over to yeah, see what your scores are. Yeah, we don't make any money are. on it. So don't, yeah. <laughs> I um, think we lose money. Actually. Yeah, we're not trying to, but you don't need to do it. Like some people mm-hmm. say, well, I was in a bad time. Then I did that. I retook the test three years after I originally took it. I was exactly the same. I mean, mild variations, but I'm a six and a one. Like Mm -hmm. that's who I am. And so don't feel like you have to keep taking it over. Figure out where you think you primarily are motivated by whatever of the nine and get to know that a little and then toss the the test aside Mm -hmm. and just start trying to be the healthiest version of what motivates you, what you're looking for to meet your needs in life and and let it go. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be that rigid of a situation with this. Yeah. All right. Then the last one was just, what do you do if your two highest scores are nearly even or actually tied? It depends on, I I would talk to your, your community group and your friends that know you to see how they experience you, but Mm -hmm. that's who you are. I mean, Mm -hmm. again, that's why we don't like to say I'm a nine, I'm a three, I'm a four. I think we're combinations of these things based upon our, you know, oftentimes our gender, family of origin, our experiences, Mm -hmm. what's happened in our life. And I would just say, look, I, I would just say I'm high this and that. And so, Yeah. Uh, like our oldest daughter, Madison, she's, she tests a nine, like a hundred percent and an eight a 99. And she is, she really does fluidly mm-hmm. go from one to the other uh, without even. <laughs> and so we couldn't like, we're like, she's such an eight, she's such a nine. She's such, like, yeah. She really is both depending on the situation, depending on her level of fatigue or excitement or, and so we just, she's a lot of high, a lot of eight, a lot of nine. Mm -hmm. Some people just are, you know, we have 200 something staff and I did the staff day and I did profiles and we had about 10 people that scored exactly the same high number in two. And so Mm -hmm. I just said, look at both of those, Mm -hmm. figure out how they might play together in your life. Because for me, I'm like a 99, six, 98.1. 98.1. I can tell you how those play together for me when I go, mm-hmm. when I pull from each of them. Mm-hmm. So you're not trying to change that. That just means you got to look at both. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, those are all our questions for today. Thank you guys so much for sending those in. Um, as always, you can send those in at debrief.show or on mm-hmm. our Facebook or Instagram. We'd love to get those in. Thank you guys so much for all of your That's wisdom it. and insight. Thank all you. Right. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. A couple quick things for you. First, if you are interested in getting more involved here at Sandals Church and growing in your leadership, our applications are open right now for Rogo School. So make sure you go check those out. Go to rogofoundation.com slash rogoschool. You can find out more about Rogo School and some of the tracks that we have available right now. Also, we have a giveaway going to celebrate our 1 million downloads milestone that we've hit. Make sure to check that out. We'll have all the details in the show notes for this episode at debrief.show slash 151.